Guys, again, welcome to Impact City. Um, glad you're here. Uh, always glad you're here. I apologize for the AC. Uh, it seems like they're still having some issues with it. As you notice, it's a little warm in here. So I want to show you guys the Southern Baptist way to solve that problem. And so what the Baptist people do is they find any piece of paper, okay? And they take this and they do this, okay? Okay? Now, if you're in Impact City, and I, you guys are, and you feel free to unbutton your shirt just a little bit. And open up, okay? Just not too much, because that's disrespectful. But, I mean, just, I mean, do this. And then whenever I say something good, you got to go, mm-hmm. And you got to nod your head. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind hearing a, you preacher, preacher. You say it, preacher, okay? <laughs> okay, good. How many of you guys got Christmas shopping out of the way? Yeah, 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 some of us are responsible. How many of us are like, ah, oh, screw it, I'm going to wait till the 23rd. I'm going to wait till the very last moment where I can possibly not do it before I have to do it. That's procrastination. And it's okay. It's a sin, but it's okay. I'm probably the biggest procrastinator in the world. Ask the guys I work with. I will hold off on doing something. But listen, I just want to give you some advice here. It doesn't matter when you buy the gift, okay? Just as long as you buy me something, that's all I care about, okay? I'm just joking. Uh, guys, open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. You guys, you're like, Felix, you're not that funny. You know? Isaiah chapter 9. If you remember this whole month of December, we've been going through uh, chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah. Like, yeah, you're spending the whole month on one verse. Yes, we're spending the whole month on just one verse of the Bible and just kind of dissecting it and looking at it as deeply as we can. And chapter 9 of Isaiah has, uh, it's a prophecy uh, that is, is something that was spoken by a prophet of God. And a prophet of God is basically just a dude that God came to and said, I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to go tell everyone else what I told you, and I want you to be a prophet for me. I want you to, to tell people about me. And prophets from God were always correct, and they were always on point. In fact, that's how you proved a, a prophet from a non-prophet, was if, if the prophet ever said something that never came true, he was a false prophet. But Isaiah was a real prophet because everything Isaiah said eventually came true. It might have not came true in that person's lifetime, but eventually it was going to come true. And he is predicting something here. And Isaiah sends out this prophecy in Isaiah 9-6. At one of the, the, the darkest, most depressed times in the life of Israel. Like what happened in Israel right now? Why was it so depressed? Why was it so Gotham City gothic? At the time, Israel was going blatantly against the will of God. Their, their king had joined forces with an opposing king to overrule and take over Jerusalem, which is against what God wanted them to do. And because they were collaborating with the enemy, God said, Your wrath, my wrath is upon you now. And there was so much um, patience there with God. If you know Israel, the story of Israel, they continue to they, like this roller coaster. They do good, then they screw up. And they do good, then they screw up. And they do good, then they really just, they, they, they drop the ball. And this is a point where they've dropped the ball. And God says, my patience with you has been great, but because I am slow to anger, uh, now I'm getting angry. My, my, my cup is runneth over. And we see it. We saw it in Solomon and Gomorrah. We saw it with the ark that at some point God says, enough is enough. Mulligan, I'm going to start over. And this is exactly what's going on. The people of Israel know this because Isaiah has been telling them the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming because of your wickedness. God is basically saying this, hey, if you want to pick up that snake, go for it. 
and see what happens. It's kind of like when we're kids and our dads say, don't touch the barbecue pit. And because they said, don't touch the barbecue pit, what do we do? We go touch the barbecue pit. And but any times we try to touch it, the dad's like trying to hold us back and stop us, right? But, but we keep going. Eventually, you know, like me, I'm like, hey, if that's what he wants to do, like if, that, if Ryan really wants to try to jump off the cliff, I'm going to let him do it and see what happens. Because I'm not going to like, I can't stop him. He keeps going back towards it. And this is what happened with Israel. God says, if that's what you want, so be it. I'll start all over again with you guys. And this is exactly what's going on here. But through the darkness and through the depression, through the, 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 the dark era, Isaiah brings a message of hope. Isaiah brings this prophecy in Isaiah 9-6. And he says these great things about something that's going to happen that is going to redeem Israel again. That's going to redeem not only Israel, but the world around Israel as well. That this is going to be such an amazing hope. That, that You know what, God's wrath might come now, but eventually you will be redeemed as a nation. He says the words in Isaiah 9-6. And if you have your Bibles, open them up there. If you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible, we have a Bible back there that is our gift to you. You can keep that. If you don't want to get up, understand that you can get it on your way out. And you can just look at the words on the screen. I have the words on the screen for you. If, you don't, if, if you're like those new tech guys and you have your Bible on your cell phone, bust it out, okay? Just don't be playing Angry Birds or anything on there. I mean, just read your Bible on your phone. I, it doesn't matter to me. Just, just If you have a copy of, of the Scriptures on a scroll, I always laugh about that, but I know one day someone's going to walk in here with a scroll and be like, what, what chapter are we on? Like, if that's what you got, that's what you got, okay? But just turn to Isaiah 9-6. Y'all, let's read this together. It says, For to us... A child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now for the past couple of weeks, we have been going over each name in this prophecy. He says four names, his Wonderful Counselor, it says, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, two weeks ago, we took a look at the word Wonderful Counselor and what that meant to us. And we found out that the word Wonderful Counselor really in Hebrew can be directly translated to the word Incomprehensible Wise King. That means that this king that, that, that Isaiah was speaking of, that this Jesus, this baby Jesus, was going to become a guy that was just incomprehensible. It means that we weren't going to understand the thing he did. That Jesus was going to be so over our heads that there was no way we could understand what he was doing or why he was doing or why he was allowing things to happen, why he was saying things. What was he saying? Why didn't, it just never made sense. And he was that incomprehensible. But because he was a wise king, as a counselor, we could trust him because we know that he's wise. We know that Jesus knew things that were above beyond our own understanding. Because he was a counselor. He was a wise king. He was like Solomon, but better. And because he was an incomprehensible wise king, we knew that we weren't going to understand him, but we could trust him. You get that? Like, we, we know that we don't understand why he tells us to do things, but because we know he's a wise king, and we can trust him because he's authority. The next week, we looked at the word mighty God, and it gave us some comfort. Because while Jesus is a warm, loving God, we looked at the picture of the Jesus with the smiley face, rosy red cheeks, and the little lamb on his He's like, like that, you know? And we looked at that picture, and we said that that's what most people think when they look at Jesus, is this sweet, loving, barney of a God. 
Barney, you know, you guys watch Barney? You guys are like, I love you, you love me. Yeah, okay, so you guys are training with me on that, okay. But we said not only is he that God, this loving, loving God, he is that God. Not only is he that God, but he's also the Jesus of Revelation coming to town with a robe drenched in blood, a sword coming out of his mouth, tattoo on his thigh, going to town and destroying enemies. That's the Jesus that we also represent, that we also see. And we said not to fear that Jesus, but to be comforted in the fact that that Jesus is fighting for you. Because Jesus is mighty God, that he's not only just loving God, he's also a mighty God, that we can trust him to fight for us to the point of death. And he did upon the cross, that he fought for us to the point of death. He went to the cross and he died for us. Jesus is an incomprehensible, wise king who is strong enough and mighty enough to go fight to the death for us. And today we're going to go a step further when Isaiah said that he is the everlasting father in our lives. The everlasting father. Now the word everlasting father in Hebrew can literally just mean father who is never ending or father of eternity. Father who is never ending or father of eternity. We're going to talk about Jesus being a lot like our dads today. And before I go into that, before I go into that, that, that potentially emotional conversation we're about to have, let me give you a warning. Let me give you a warning about this. Most of us don't have good memories of our dads. Most of us don't have good memories of who our dads are. And for whatever reason, maybe he abused you. Okay, maybe he abused your mom or your sister. You know, maybe he just wasn't there for you. Or maybe he skipped out on your mom. Or maybe uh, when, when he was there, he never really gave you much attention. Maybe whenever you tried to talk to him and show him your Lego set or the, your, your prince's castle, he just kind of blew you off. Or whatever reason it was, maybe he cheated on your mom. Maybe he was the kind of guy that was a, a, a whoremonger that went out and just cheated on women all the time. And then he would come home and sleep and get a beer and have a steak and that was it. Maybe he was like that. Maybe, maybe he just never showed you love. Maybe every time that you had a birthday party, he was more interested in drinking beer with his compadres than spending time with you and spending time with you on your special day. Listen, and I don't know whatever reason it is that you just have beef with your dad, I want you to know that I understand and I get it. And none of that should ever happen to a child. But none of that should ever happen to a child or to a family. But listen, for, for just this one moment, I want us to just not think about Jesus and associate that fatherly figure of Jesus with our dads. Because our dads are human. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. And they're imperfect people. And they're going to make mistakes. But Jesus is a perfect father. In fact, Jesus is the father that all of us men should strive to be like. I know Jesus is the example that I move myself closer to every day as much as I can. I fail at it every day. Every day I screw up. But Jesus is the example of the perfect father. He is the everlasting Father. Now, first of all, many people might say, like, well, hold up. Why is Isaiah calling the Son of God uh, the everlasting Father if he's really the Son of God? Is he confused about who, Isaiah, who uh, Jesus really is? He's not. He's just more so given his characteristics of Jesus. Everlasting Father means Father of eternity. It's a characteristic of Jesus of who he is. Now, if you know anything about theology, and this is simple theology, we know that Jesus is both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is the Father, Jesus is the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. 
Okay? And we know that the three operate individually of each other, but they also are all one in the same and are of the same thing. Now you're like, you're blowing, you're like, you know, like, my mind's blown, Felix, what do you mean? They're operating individually, but they're all one and the same. The answer is yes. Is Jesus God? Yes. Is God the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is Jesus the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. It's all the same. But knowing that they are all the same, and knowing that, we know that Jesus is all of that. And we know that Jesus was before time as God and with God. We know that he is in time as himself and with himself. We know that he is throughout time as the Holy Spirit. So he is both past, present, and future all in one eternity. He is a never-ending. He is everywhere. He is everywhere as an eternal, everlasting Father. He is everywhere. And we have a word to describe that. It's called omnipresent. Y'all say it with me, omnipresent. Omnipresent basically means this, that he is present everywhere. That he is everywhere at every one time. That God and Jesus is both outside of time. Omnipresent. He is above eternity. He is over and above the before and over and above the after. He is over it. But not only is Jesus omnipresent, Jesus is also omniscient. Okay, now are you omnipresent, omniscient. Omniscient means that he is knowing everything. Jesus knows everything. And in Luke 12, 7, he's, the Bible says that how God knows every strand of hair on our heads. That the God of the universe knows everything about us. Every nuclear cell in our bodies, every drop of blood, he knows where it's at. He knows the galaxies. He knows the stars. He knows the depths of the seas. We've talked about this. We know every blink of a frog in Africa that happens. He knows that. He knows everything. He is, he is all-knowing. He is omniscient. And because God is Jesus, Jesus is also omniscient. Jesus knows everything. Jesus knew everything before it happened. He is omniscient. Not only is he omniscient, but he's also omnipotent. Now say it with me, omnipotent. Omnipotent. Omnipotent, which means that he not only knows everything, but omnipotent means he has unlimited power. That because he is omnipresent, he is outside time, he is omniscient, which means he knows everything, he is also omnipotent. Ephesians 1 talks about the great power of God. And other translations say that this power is incomprehensible. People in other translations say this power is immeasurable or unlimited, everlasting. This great power that Jesus possesses is unlimited and powerful. He is omnipresent, omnisensed, and omnipotent. That describes Jesus. These are all three traits of an everlasting father. Omnipresent means that he is everlasting. He is outside of time. And because he is omniscient and omnipotent, he is becoming the father who is powerful and full of wisdom. He is a father figure for us that is never-ending, who is full of power and wisdom. Doesn't that make sense? Because earlier we just said that he was a, a wise young king and he was a mighty God. It just kind of complements each other. It's funny how Scripture does that, right? And we know that, that he is a wise father who is everlasting to us. And just think about it. When we think about great dads and we think about the, the great fathers of all time— 
They're, they represent this. They represent men who are strong, who are hardworking, who are bloody-knuckled type guys, who are both not only strong and willing to do whatever it takes to provide for a family and be selfless, but they're also men who are, who are wise and knowledgeable about life. You want to know anything about life, don't hang out with people younger than you. Hang out with people older and more mature than you, and you will grow naturally in that. I always say that. Align yourself with you know, bigger, better, smarter people than yourself, and you will grow. And we said that this is the ideal father in life. The ideal father, if I was to look at my dad, and he is the great guy, but when I look at him, I say, he was extremely strong. My dad would pick up telephone poles, throw them into a six-foot deep hole that he dug with a postal digger, like nothing, just a bear, and just throw it in. I've seen guys push big, heavy objects out of the way. I've seen men who are just real strong, chop down trees, cut stuff with axes. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's the tough stuff right there, right? I've seen my dad do stuff like that, and then I've also seen him be really wise and make wise decisions in life. I see my dad come back from Vietnam. Of course, I didn't see him come back from Vietnam, but I know he came back from Vietnam and he had tons of stories to tell. He's been around the world and he's seen things that I will never see in my life, or at least I pray I never will see in my life. He's got stories upon stories upon stories to tell. He is wise in so many ways. He's a strong, wise man. That's what we think about when we think about a great father. But here's a shocker to us is that no matter how great and how wise and how strong of a father you have, one day he's going to die. Like one day your dad will die, and this is going to be a little bit more morbid for you. One day you're going to die. None of us live forever. So no matter how strong and wise your dad might be, one day you're going to die. I remember my dad crying on my shoulder when my grandpa passed away in the hospital. The minute my grandpa passed away, he came out just broken down. I embraced my father. I was crying like a baby. He was crying like a baby. And it hit me that his dad died. His father, his papa, his, it, it's gone. No matter how indestructible one may be, they're not everlasting. Not everlasting. You look at uh, Adam. You look at the Adam, the father of all men. Adam is what we call him in the Bible. He's the father of man. He's the first, the father of the flesh. Adam, the first man ever to, to create more life within him, within his seed has grown. All of us here in this room here today, Adam. And Adam was a great guy. I mean, he was, he was a good guy. He, he obeyed God. He listened to God. He tended to the garden. Adam was a worker. He worked hard. He, he managed the garden and obeyed God and tended to that. He also got to name all the animals, which by far is the coolest job I've ever known. To get to name, be like, you know, tiger, um, you know, elephant. You know, like, he's always like, that elephant looks fat. Elephant. You know, that, that's what he does. He named animals, right? And so he did all these things. He led his wife well, except for that one day when she met the snake. He did a good job. He kind of dropped the ball there, okay? He raised up kids well, except for the time that Cain came back with Abel's blood in his hand because he murdered Abel, his little brother. Like, he did all of these things, okay? And he raised up kids, and because of Adam came many more descendants and many more children. Adam fathered a, a multitude of boys and girls throughout history. But eventually, guess what? He died, like, Adam died. He lived 930 years, but eventually the dude croaked. He died. He wasn't everlasting. But I want us to look at 
something that the Bible says about Adam in 1 Corinthians 5.45. If your Bible's turned there, not look in the screen. 1 Corinthians 15.45, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says this. It says, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first Adam became a living being. That, that talks about the sin that entered his life when he disobeyed God. And sin, uh, like a cancer, spread through his body and his life. And then he actually became a living being who was eventually going to suffer death. What did God say? Do not eat of this tree because surely you will die. And eventually he suffered death. And so he became just a living being that eventually will die. But it says that the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That not only is he... Uh, a spirit, he's giving life. Like, what does that mean? Well, the second Adam, or the last Adam in the scripture is speaking about Jesus. Jesus, the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity. And this is important for us because his life is a life-giving spirit. It's not a spirit that takes life or ends life. It is a life-giving spirit. His everlasting Father means the Father of eternity, which means that He is in control of eternity, which means He is the Father of eternity, which means that He has the power to give eternity, to give everlasting life. And this is great news to those of us who are living in the sinful, wicked world. It's the one thing that separates Jesus from some other many so-called man-made gods is the fact that He is still alive. That he is a life-giving Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, God is alive and well. Jesus is alive and well. And only an everlasting Father can give an everlasting life. You see what I'm saying? Our Father gave us life, but because His life was going to end, our life is going to end too. But because Jesus is our everlasting Father, when He gives us everlasting life, we have everlasting life from here on out. That's called salvation. Jesus is alive and well. He's not dead like Adam. He's not dead like Muhammad. He's not dead like a Joseph Smith, and he's not dead like any of the other popes before this pope. See, many of us will trust things that are just going to die eventually, but he's the everlasting father who has so graciously chosen to give us a son in Jesus Christ, to send his son Jesus Christ to his earth to give us life. And he sent Jesus to this earth as a child, and he lived a sinless, blameless life so that one day he could take that child and have him executed and sacrificed so that all of us can have everlasting life. That is the glory of Christmas Day. We celebrate Christmas not because it is an American commercialized holiday, not because it is some type of craziness. No, I celebrate Christ. Mass because I remember what Christ came for here in my life. Because Christmas represents to me the birth of a a Savior who is a life-giving, everlasting Father. He's a mighty God, a wonderful counselor. That is Christmas. So when I walk by and I see mangers and I see lights, I think about the light of God. When I see a manger, I think about that Christmas day. It wasn't really Christmas day. We'll get into that later. But you're like, man, Jesus was not born the 25th. That's something different. But, um, you know, we get into all of that, and that's what Christmas really means, that God would send his son to die for us so we can have everlasting life. This is why we must trust in Jesus and not any other type of man-made God, and why we must trust in Jesus and not anything else in life. Check this out in 2 Corinthians 14. I don't, I don't even think it's up here. It says, As we look not to the things that are seen, 
but to the things that are unseen. For that the things that are seen are transcendent. It means that they're going to die. They're going to leave. They're going to end one day. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So it's saying that because Jesus is our everlasting Father and the Father of eternity, who offers us eternal life, we must surrender to Him and only Him. Then we must trust Him for nothing else. If you're trusting in something else in your life that, to save you, to give you comfort, to give you hope, you're sitting in a sinking ship. It's like, I know I'm going to make it across this ocean of life in this ship, but it's got a hole in it. Eventually, you're not going to get there. Jesus is the only thing that can carry us through life. Carry us past life, for that matter, and everlasting life. We can't trust in things in this world. We have to trust in things that are not of this world. Like, your job will not save you. As much as, as we want to believe in success and we want to believe in the American dream, it's not going to save us. Your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend is not going to save you. I, 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 I laugh whenever I hear girls say, oh my God, he is so amazing. He just, he saved my life. No, he didn't. He bought you a car. Like, like he, he bought you a computer or something. He didn't save your life. You know, like that's so ridiculous. Like you're not, and, you know, if he literally was like a lifeguard and you met him like on the scene of like Baywatch or something, I get that. Okay, that's different. But he didn't really save your life. Okay, um, your money will not save you. Many of us are um, obsessed with working longer hours at work so that we can save up more money because we know that we, if we have money, we have security. Listen, money will not stop the car from hitting you head on. Y'all heard about that poor gentleman that passed away this weekend. That, that was a, a crazy thing. I literally, I drive past that uh, same road every morning to work. And one of the guys that I work with said that he was driving in that morning and he saw that drunk driver come right past him. And he said he was on the, on the same road, and he was honking his horn, trying to get the guy to pull over, and he had to go around the guy. He almost hit my friend, and eventually he went down the road and hit the other guy and killed the other guy, a drunk driver. See, that, that other guy who passed away, he was an amazing guy. He had an amazing life, but all the money in the world couldn't have stopped that drunk driver from T-boning him. All the money in the world is not going to stop the cancer from spreading in your body. All the money in the world is not going to stop the car from hitting your child outside when they're playing. All the money in the world will never stop death. Money will not save you. Uh, your understanding of this world may not save you. You might think, like, I understand the world. I understand how things work. I understand that I can run my life my own way. That's not going to save you. You suck as God. You ever try uh, raising someone back from life and from death? You, you can't do it. You're not going to ever top Jesus in the way that, think, that Jesus does things. You're not that smart. I'm not that smart. None of us are that smart. I don't care if you're the smartest guy in the world. You're not smarter than Jesus. You're not omniscient. Your government will not save you. That's, I'm not even going to touch that one. Um, your religion will not save you. Um, I don't care if you're Christian, Catholic, Buddhist, whatever, your religion will not save you. It's the relationship you have with Jesus Christ that will save you. Um, uh, a candle will not save you. Praying on beads will not save you. Praying to a statue will not save you. Going to Mecca will not save you. Going to Jerusalem, even Jerusalem will not save you. It's Jesus that saves you. Not the deepest bunker in the world, not doomsday prepper style, will not save you. 
It doesn't matter. You're still eventually going to die. Listen, Superman might save you for a minute, but eventually you're going to grow old and die. The only thing that will save you and give you eternal life past death is the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I plead with us here today. In all seriousness, what are you putting your trust in? What are we putting our trust in? Are we trusting in things of this world? Are we trusting in things that are happening? Are we trusting in, in our job and ourselves and our own abilities? Are we trusting in Jesus? And through Jesus, living through Jesus and doing things His way, are we allowing Him to change our lives and make us become better people who eventually will have everlasting life after death? What are we trusting in, people? Let's pray. Father God, I know that uh, just in a room this big, in a room this size, that there's a lot of doubts. Sometimes we can just kind of come to church and we can come and we can celebrate you and all that, but if we walk out and we, in the back of our mind we're thinking, I don't really trust that stuff though. It's fun, it's good, but I don't trust it. God, I mean, you just pierce our hearts today with your with your yourself today. May you just pierce our hearts with your, your presence. May you just pierce our hearts with just the acknowledgement that you are alive and well, that you are a mighty God, who you are an everlasting Father, who is here to love us and to save us. That we put our trust in the everlasting that we will never fail. That we put our trust in the everlasting no matter what comes our way, no matter what storms are in front of us, no matter what persecution might we face, no matter what disappointment, no matter what heartache, no matter what pain is in our lives, no matter, no matter anything that happens to us, that we know that eventually we will have a day of glory when we meet you face to face in heaven. That is what I want. I pray that is what you want. I pray that even though God has been absent from your life at times. You might have been strained from God. I pray that today just, just be your awakening. That today you would just kind of become aware of the fact that God is real and God is alive and God has come for you and he has sent his son to die for you. And that anything outside of him will not bring you eternal life. But he chose to send his perfect son holy and blameless as a sacrifice for our wickedness. And this Christmas season, may we remember that. May we exalt that. May we worship that. The fact that our Savior Christ Jesus was born to die for us so that he may live forever and through his everlasting life, we may have everlasting life after death and resurrection. Amen. Father God, I love you. Father God, we praise you. God, I pray for us to have an amazing week. May you use us to be the hands and feet of Christ. May you use us as windows into the, the eyes of Jesus. God, may you use us to be a life of impact. May we be a life that does something in this world. May you just offer us as a family of believers, community and love and peace this season. And to Christ's name, all God's people said, amen. Let's give God a round of applause.